0: From Palma de Mallorca to the global super yacht community, Super Yacht Radio,
1: and welcome to Super Yacht Radio. We have the pleasure this week of talking with the A Crew winners, and I am delighted to introduce uh, Alex, Captain Alex Whitty, Whitty, who I- has just won the Captain Master Unlimited uh, A Crew Award in yachting. Congratulations and welcome to the show. Lovely to see you, Alex.
0: Yeah, thanks very much. Very nice to be here.
1: So we were we were talking of your present super yacht at the moment. You are captain on motor yacht Naya.
0: Naya, Naya. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, motor yacht uh, Naya. Uh, yeah, I've been there about a year. Yeah.
1: And she's a she's a dual boat. You were saying.
0: That's right, yeah. She's a 74-meter charter boat, uh, dual season. Uh, historically, she's been around the world as well. You know, she's done the Sea of Cortez, Indonesia, uh, Indian Ocean and Pacific and stuff. So she's she's really been about... You, you, um, you've um, been about degree. too, haven't
2: you? i beg your pardon. You've been around a few times as well, haven't you?
0: Yes, yes. Career-wise, yes, yeah, certainly. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, world-wise
1: circum- too,
2: it seems. Circumnavigation.
0: <laughs> That's right, yeah. Um, I mean, I've circumnavigated the globe several times because uh, I started my career... Uh, on cargo ships, so and there were trampers as well. So what that means is, you never knew where you were going. You would be in one port, and you'd get orders to pick up a cargo in like Liverpool and take it to Brazil, and then halfway through, you'd be told to turn around and go somewhere else. So you just never knew where you were going to be. and uh, a Bit
2: like the super yacht industry.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little bit, very much so. Yeah, absolutely, for different reasons, but absolutely, yeah. Good uh,
2: training. Your,
0: uh,
1: so d- yeah. taking us back a little bit, because I always love to hear the where the story started. How did a boy from Basingstoke end up on, uh, to start off with, on on cargo boats?
0: Well, what it was, was uh, that I was just doing really, really badly in my A-levels. And uh, no, (laughs) I I, I wasn't doing very well. I was all right at school and then I went to A-levels and I thought that would be easy as well. Uh, It turns out it was a bit more challenging than I thought. And my mum, she used to do like uh, work as a teacher on an island called Rodrigues. Um, which is off um, the coast of Africa. And she was friends with these two uh, captains of a cargo ship. So she had said to me, like, have you ever thought about joining the Merchant Navy? So I looked into it and I thought, well, it looks pretty good. Uh, So I did some training up at South Shields. Uh, I was sponsored by a cargo ship company that did tramping and general cargo and heavy lift and stuff like that. So quite interesting boats, interesting operation. And, yeah, that's that's just how it started, you know, and it was just something I, I really had a passion for. When I started, I loved it, but I had no naval background at all except, like, my great-grandfather worked in a port of Liverpool, but that was about it, you know. So,
2: so is that the natural progression, do badly at your A-levels and become a, a uh, master
0: seaman? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. I mean, that's a great foundation to <laughs> do really badly academically and then develop a bit later on academically. Well, I, I what, mean, that's what happened with me. Anyway.
2: <laughs> where was your mother when I was doing badly at my A-levels? <laughs>
0: <laughs> probably, probably in Rodriguez.
1: <laughs> so, Kilian, um, then what moved you from from cargo ships? I presume you got a lot of experience there of, of marine life, boating life, um, kind of getting some of your foundations, and then you went into the cruise industry.
0: Yeah, that's right. So I started uh, like with the cargo ships, but they were very honest and upfront with me, um, and they said to me when I was a cadet. Look, the reason why we have cadets is because it reduces the tonnage tax on the freight that the cargo ships have, and that's how, pretty much up until now, the British Merchant Navy has been continuing. Um, but they said, once you're qualified, we'll offer you one trip as an officer so you have the experience. But after that, we uh, don't employ Brits because they're very expensive. <laughs> uh, but it's it's so you know it's so common, it's so so common, and nowadays you know a lot of cadets are coming out from the Merchant Navy without even getting that first trip. So Kind of look back. Wow! Quite fortunately, I did. So after I did that, I thought, right, well, I need to move, and it seems to be a good time to change. So I went onto cruise ships. You know, um, it seemed like the natural progression at the time, um, and I was there for four or five years on Windstar, which was like a kind of like a sailing um, cruise ship hybrid, which was excellent. You know, and thoroughly enjoyed my time there.
2: What, what position did you start in on on the cruise ships?
0: Third officer. Um, and then it was, uh, you went junior second and then senior second. And then I got my chief officer's ticket there when I was second mate. Uh, and again, that's when I moved into yachting after about four or five years from there.
1: And then, so then transitioning into the yachting sector. What's that
2: like actually, going from the, the big, big boats um, down many, to many,
1: many people.
2: And very different.
1: Very deluxe, luxury, smaller crew. But, it's uh, gonna be a
2: head head wrecker to begin with, I would think.
0: Just. Oh, I was amazing. I was just—it was like a—it was like a career honeymoon for me when I joined <laughs> yachting. <laughs> <laughs> I Had no idea how good uh, I got it because um, I, I I came from cruise ships and then I I started working on a, a yacht called the Golden uh, Odyssey, which was part of the Golden Fleet, uh, and I went as second mate on a sixty-seven meter support vessel to golden odyssey and she also did like worldwide cruising for a global reef expedition which was one of the highlights of my career um so yeah i just thoroughly enjoyed it i just thought it was amazing you know um but yeah i mean it was massively different and there was a huge learning curve yachting is so much more challenging i feel than uh the commercial sector they have different they have different strains and stresses commercially but Yachting, you need to be so much more resourceful. You need mm. to be accountable for yourself. You're expected to do things on your own. Uh, it's, so much uh, for that yeah, name And would
1: well, you also you, say that it's there's a higher standard expected or would it be yeah. standardized similarly?
0: Yeah, I mean, it depends on what aspect of the job you're talking about. But I would say now on the the, the boats that I've worked on more recently, I would say the standards in like for safety and also sure. for uh, guest experience would probably be higher. Like I had a few conversations with a few of the safety officers from cruise ships at a course recently and they were talking uh, about yachting industry saying the standards of safety on as high as that on cruise ships and I, I had to disagree. I said, the only difference from what I've seen on the boats I've worked in is when we have a safety meeting all the points that you write down, we're actually able to afford and actually action. Whereas on a cruise ship, they get kicked back to the office, somebody else joins a new guy on a ship uh, and they don't happen. So I'd say in some ways, we're living actually in the safest sector of the industry now because we can put our heads together, action it and be resourceful and responsible in order to achieve it, you know? And um,
1: I mean, the cruise ship industry, not to detour too much, but it does, it does seem to have many issues with... I don't want to say standards, but, you know, there's a lot more horror stories that come from from cruise ships of the legalities or how you manage things. Or even I would think that that's got to pass down on crew as well of um, fairness, justice. Is, is there a difference you see between the two industries in that as well?
0: Yeah, I mean, to be honest, if we're talking about fairness, um, I would say that is one thing that the cruise ship industry perhaps has slightly more on an even keel than yachting. Um, I would like to see yachting develop a bit better with st- standards and harmonization and fairness and ethics with regards to crew recruitment and stuff like that not like the companies or the people recruiting are but the constraints and limitations that are imposed in the way you can go about recruiting I think is is uh, is not quite as fair as i think it is in uh, the commercial sector so i'd say for fairness uh cruise ships got uh, cruise ships are already there and uh yachting's got a little bit way to go i would say
2: mm. hmm. well, no, I, I think he's right because um <clears throat> I, I, i'm not sure about the hiring but i know the firing um can be done on a whim uh, it can be down to the aesthetics that the i know one chap was actually dismissed from his boat not because of the quality of his work, just because his face upset at the owner's wife. And she, didn't want, <laughs> she, and she didn't want to see it every morning. And uh, he lost his job over it, basically not being attractive enough, as he put it.
0: Yeah. And for an industry that has uh, a lot of weight in longevity, but then also this kind of at the other side of the coin, you know, it can be quite ruthless with regards to the firing. But I, when I was talking about the ethics, I was probably more referring to perhaps sometimes there's some standard yachting prejudices with regards to sexism, ageism, um, racism. My particular favorite as somebody who's slightly overweight, fatism, Um, (laughs) Porkyism. Some some of these, some of these things I I think could be addressed, you know, need to be addressed really. They need to just be like, we need to stand up for, for crew uh, and for the recruitment process and just try and iron these things out and make it a little bit more, fair you know what i mean with how we go about hiring and certain things that just shouldn't be acceptable to say when the recruiters like well, right we're looking for somebody but they can't be from this country and they can't speak this language and they have to be this particular age only and you know what i mean things like that
2: yeah it's, uh, it's, it's
1: but i think it's also an important like in any industry, that it's recognized as well from the top down. I mean, I know there's a lot of recruiters and management companies who recruit, but we still have a lot of captains who are recruiting. So to have that upper level in the industry recognize what is right and and fair, I think is also a very important part of it because it trickles down from there.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. I, I certainly don't think it's the recruitment agents that want to be put in these situations situations at all it must be the, the most awful thing for them to have to look with these parameters no it's certainly not them i'm just saying if there was some kind of regulatory basis over it you know if it maybe incorporated in the mlc for yachts or something like that where you weren't allowed to operate like that it might just you know start getting rid of it you know the parameters were made clear so it sign of safeguards captains and crew recruiters against you know sometimes having to make say things that you would rather not say you
2: know? yeah but well, w- yeah. one thing i've noticed in the industry is um, is the fear component you know if if i get dismissed for being too brown or too overweight or too whatever too good looking i like to think that i'm, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm and silly. he laughs. Um, well, laughs he's got a camera <laughs> didn't didn't
2: expect you to laugh there that's kind of hurtful um <laughs> <laughs> but let me just give our guest a moment to compose himself again um, one of the things i've noticed and it it actually came up in a round table we had recently about mental health is if you challenge that as as a crew member if you challenge it through nautical uh, nautilus forgive me uh, or directed to the captain the fear of not getting another job of being blackballed uh, is, is very very real even we find in in, in Going to marinas and trying to interview uh, crew. Quite often they'll they'll do it anonymously. Or can you disguise my voice in case the next captain I go to recognizes my voice and stuff? And this is just to have a chat. This isn't even about contentious issues. So um, there is that fear factor of the law may be in place. But until crew feel confident that I can speak up and I can get another job someday, I think that needs to be addressed as well.
0: I don't oh, know if you'd agree. 100% agree with that yeah I mean even myself like uh, if something happened in my career even I wouldn't bother pursuing it you know um obviously I'm hoping my owner's not listening to this <laughs> at the moment and okay great and I thought it was unfair um you know I wouldn't feel like the industry is a place where it's worth speaking out you just accept it and move on and you're right It's that's Also signs of malpractice, isn't it, you know, within the industry. So, you know, I love the industry. I think it's great. But we did talk about the distinction between, you know, how it's so much better and such a higher level of service and safety. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the the one thing I would say, if we are comparing it to the commercial, like the original question, I would say the fairness and equality that I would like to see that improve. Yeah, I agree. I'd like to try and be an ambassador, if I could, of improving it as well, hence Saying these things that could be considered slightly unpopular uh, on a platform such as this, as well, you
2: know. I, I like to think that this is the first step in your ambassadorship here on Super Yacht Radio, <laughs> and we can disguise <laughs> your voice if you like. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Brilliant! Yeah, sure. No, no. Captain, so, Captain X.
1: Moving yeah. back to um, super yachting, uh, you you kind of came in as third officer, did you, and um, have kind of worked your way up. Um, for you, along the path, what were the bigger, biggest challenges coming in? Was it, I mean, because we've heard on, on air about there's kind of a pyramid effect a little bit with a lot of captains coming up, a lot of people getting qualified, younger. Um, and, the you know, the role of, of captain, not only are you um, in charge of the boat, but you're also in charge, and this has come up quite a bit on our station, you're in charge of this group of people who are also relying on you. As one captain said, you know, I'm, I'm both parent and friend and leader. Counselor. And counselor, I'm um, all these roles at the same time. And if you're uh, lucky enough... Oh, and enough, I get to
2: drive the boat now and again. And
1: I get to drive the boat. And I get to do loads of paperwork sometimes too. Um, yeah. For you going up, what, what were the bigger challenges of getting to where you are?
0: Well, I think I touched on resourcefulness. Um, from my previous career where you've got companies behind you, a lot of the decision making process for anything like, you know, whether it's a change in the safety practice or something you order or where you're going to go or how you're going to do arrival administration, it was kind of done remotely by an office. Whereas when you, or, you know, itineraries for cruise ships, that's also something that we wouldn't really be involved in. However, um, when we plan this global reef expedition on golden shadow, um, you know we're, we're totally accountable and we have to be extremely resourceful and we have to find you know passage planning was a completely different thing like passage planning wasn't just getting from a to b and safely passage planning on a yacht could involve all sorts of things like you know what's the drop-off location like how close is it to medical facilities because it's so remote and we don't have a company support so uh it, yeah i suppose the biggest change for me was having to become someone who didn't have anybody to back me up and just completely resourceful but i suppose that completely changed the outlook on the way I viewed the career, my own career uh, and, uh, yeah, I fully embraced it. And uh, I, I do enjoy yachting for that reason. I implore people to be more more resourceful, you know, and if they're coming across, especially from the commercial sector, is to have the full respect of just uh, how difficult it is in yachting uh, and how accountable you are, you know.
1: And along the way, did you have some mentors or some... Um particular experiences that really help boost your learning or Google (laughs) other than Google?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah, no, definitely. I mean, that's in all industries, like I said, with some excellent captains and, um, you know, I've learned a lot from them and I've worked uh, beneath people um, that have also taught me things that maybe I'll avoid doing in my career as well. So for, you know, those kind of influences on your life, um, you know, I've had quite a lot, but definitely the positive ones. I can think of one captain in particular, um, a guy called Otto Linzel. I mean, he was a massive influence on my career, and he was the one who really championed me for my first proper captain's job uh, and believed in me, and, uh, yeah, I've got a lot of respect for, for Otto, you know.
1: Yeah,
2: a shout-out to Otto. Well done. <laughs> um, in your In your bio, you mentioned some of the highlights of your career. Obviously, you're going to add to that now by... Um, your your uh, guest appearance on Super Yacht Radio, <laughs> but yep. before you put that entry in, the one before um, was the Reef Expedition. Yeah,
0: so the you reef tell expedition. us about that. Yeah, well, that was uh, we had an owner who was uh, a bit of an ambassador to the oceans, and he had three yachts, but he wanted to put the, his resources into the protection, conservation, monitoring, uh, and upkeep of the coral reefs around the world. So they planned, mainly with American Navy guys, um, they planned uh, a global reef expedition, which started in the Persian Banks in the Middle East of Saudi and circumnavigated the globe right the way back, you know, and they did uh, the Caribbean and then they did, went through Panama and they did Galapagos and all these strange islands in between. And I say strange because some of them are so small and so remote. There was one island we went to, it's called, I think it was Palmerston, and it's near another island which is fairly remote called Ayataki, off Rangaroa, about 250 miles north of Rangaroa. And this one island was so small, there's only about 65 people who live there. They've all got the same surname, because they're <laughs> all descendants of one guy and his couple of wives, like, way back when, you know.
2: It's not an Irish and, uh, surname, is it?
0: No, I think he's from Gloucestershire. It's called Marston. Or <laughs> Marston. And, uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was back in, the I think, the 18th century, and he was there in the plantation, then just decided to plant his flag there. But, you know, we're going to these strange places... Uh, incidentally actually that story they were we had a lot of deliveries from Rangaroa to this Palmerston because even though Rangaroa is very remote they were like this is even remoter so we we've got all these boxes and they're all for Mr and Mrs Masters but they're all called masters so you know
1: <laughs> um,
0: um, on the shore side, but, but we delivered that and that was interesting and then we they went to Palau and then they did um, uh, the Great Barrier Reef um, and then yeah back through Indonesia and stuff like that and you know, it's all up there on the website, Living Oceans Foundation, but it was an amazing project to be part of, you know. We had, like, cameramen like Doug Allen on board who did, like, Planet Earth and stuff <laughs> filming it. Right. And, uh,
1: did you get to do any diving by any chance yourself and experience it underwater firsthand?
0: A lot of the crew did. I don't actually dive myself. Or snorkel. Um, like, <laughs> yeah, I did a bit of snorkeling and a bit of swimming, and I jumped off the side of the tender a few times. But... Uh, I'm a bit of a wuss, and uh, I can't clear my. <laughs> oh own yeah, space.
1: you can tell that from being <laughs> a captain of the biggest yacht you can have. <laughs> so that's
2: that's the comfort to the crew. Where's Captain a Wuss? Yeah. He's he's hiding under the pillow. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. Well, I can't clear very well, so I've never really got into diving. But uh, we had to do we had to do like a hyperbaric chamber course because we had a hyperbaric chamber on board. And, so uh, you deep to dives. To Pardon?
2: Were you doing deep dives or they were doing deep dives there?
0: Not really deep dives, but they were diving like with mixes like nitrox. They were doing three dives a day and you know, they were, you know, and we just had to be trained up because we were so remote. It was just like if something went wrong if someone did get the bends, we all had to be trained up as like all the officers were an engineers, they were operators of that hyperbaric chamber and also medics. So I had to go in the chamber and do the medic course, which meant I had to go and I just had to clear or just pretend like I wasn't in agony for the time when we were uh, under pressure, which was so, probably more true.
2: So guinea pig uh, is part of your CV. Yeah,
0: exactly, exactly. But yeah, that was that was a really great uh, a great project to be part of, definitely one of the highlights of my career. And How I'm long very, was that for? Well, the whole program, it went on for about five years. Oh. So we just carried on working like, you know, just the normal rotation or whatever we were on. Um and if we were lucky enough to be on for the places that we really wanted to do, like, you know, I wanted to do Galapagos and the Cook and Austral Islands and stuff. And uh, we did like Tuamotus and the Gambia Islands and, and society. Of all
1: Fantastic. of those places, which one would you put on someone's bucket list of?
2: All of them, uh, I would imagine.
1: Well, I mean, you've seen a lot now, but there, there's always going to be one or two that are just sort of exceptional because of culture or beauty or the experience you had there
0: yeah i mean it would be hard not to say galapagos uh, especially as a seafarer with the change of currents and the temperatures they have there which brings you know all that sea life it it would be hard not to say galapagos is is not one of the most amazing places in the world that i've been you know so yeah i would say galapagos and we were really remote in galapagos as well it wasn't it was like you know like uh, darwin's arch which is know quite far to the north and stuff like that operating a dive platform out there you know, with I, I, know I,
2: I know you have to get special permission to go there um several months in advance mm-hmm. uh is it a busy place when you get there are there many other boats around or is it usually pretty much alone no
0: it's not that it's not that busy It's it's mainly local and the permissions it's more about what you want to do there rather than being allowed to do it so you can either go there for a land-based holiday or expedition or a diving one, and you can't mix the two. So we applied for a permit to do the diving and get entry to you know that particularly sensitive sea area. And then we'd do the diving expedition, but that meant there was nothing really allowed on shore. So it's just the designation of the type of operation you're doing there as opposed to getting permission. Mm-hmm. Like, I couldn't say I want to do some on the beach and collect stones and i want to do something in the water it's one or the other that was the way it worked. certainly that's, was at the time you know
2: it's kind of odd is, is there a good reason for that or is it just the way it is
0: no idea i don't know they're just uh i think they're just very strict and quite rightly so over this over this area you know and mm-hmm. they come and, on board.
1: I because you've now gone around the world a few times uh, on that experience are there and i don't know because i am not a captain and i don't really get to go around you, the world you're
2: captain of our studio
1: <laughs> uh, captain of the studio but are there places because i'm thinking we were talking recently about panama raising up their tolls and i'm thinking about all those boats that are now heading across the atlantic and we've talked to a lot of people in the asia pacific area are there places that you would say are particularly challenging as a captain to steer through
0: yeah i mean i would say the south china sea Uh, poses a particular difficulty because of the concentration of traffic, you know, that of fishing vessels. Um, The English Channel, I mean, it's fairly straightforward because it's either going in one direction or the other, but every now and again, you get like a rogue ship that's doing completely the opposite of what it should or you expected it to do. Uh, And, you know, of course, that can be quite a challenging waterway at times as well. But I think, to be honest, the collision regulations, pretty clear, and they're the same everywhere else. And if you just follow them, um, You know, and you take into account, you know, traffic density. Then you're all right. I'd say more challenging waters are areas maybe where you have difficult weather conditions and stuff. Hurricane, I've never so. been down. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, hurricanes challenging. You know, knowing when to go to certain areas and stuff like that. But what's the the I've Cape been,
2: uh, the the South America the the tip of South America? Mm-hmm. What's that place called? Mm-hmm. The Cape of it's not Chile? No, it's right down the bottom. But that, that's apparently quite a difficult area because you've got currents and you've got okay. the pacific meeting the atlantic and um
0: I yeah I mean, I mean these these are, i mean anywhere d- that far in that kind of southerly latitude is going to be difficult and i, w- I was just going to say i've never been down to antarctica um around those regions but we've been doing a lot of work on board naya uh, to set up so we can uh, offer charters in that area so we've been doing a lot of work yeah. to the boat to ensure that can happen and also a lot of the preparations and getting the vessel, you know, fully certified under the polar code. So I do have quite an in-depth understanding of the, the the difficulties in we're going to experience when we navigate in that area. But I would say it's an area that um, I I just really wanted. That is my Mm. new bucket list. I've done Galapagos now moving on to the next one. It's, it's Antarctica. That's what I really want to do. And I'd love to do that on NIA, you
1: know, to go down, sorry, to go down along the coast of South America, kind of do a little Patagonia, and then keep on going south can you how far can you get if you're not like a a explorer super yacht how far can you get to antarctica carefully for want of a better word it depends (laughs) on the season back to the safety feature
0: (laughs) yeah i mean there's several things you need to consider the vessel needs to have the polar code in place uh you need to be able to do it physically with the vessel so You know, if yachts are built for summer and warm weather, then they need to consider heating solutions for engines and stuff so stuff doesn't freeze up. And also you need to have a certain rating of an ice classification hull. So they come in different classifications from anything from an icebreaker, which would be like, you know, ice classification 1A, to just being operating in what they call open water. So that means don't put yourself, you know, in areas where there's a certain percentage of ice around you and you get closed off. Um, so that would be like down to 1D can, can and there's you, other smaller.
2: so can you reinforce the hull to make it ice worthy or is that you can't do that
0: uh, I think if you did an extensive refit then perhaps but I've never heard of it and I wouldn't be ex- experienced in knowing the answer to whether you could change a vessel that isn't ice classed from a hull perspective into one but I'm pretty sure in yachting you can do whatever you want you if have
2: enough a, money you, can, <laughs> <you're> <laughs>
0: money. you know, just chop it off and put a new one in like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> why not so yeah.
1: on the bucket list is heading to the antarctica um career wise i mean you've pretty much now uh, you've got a license for as big pretty much as we go in in i think next mega is admiral, yacht isn't it? Um, <laughs> where do you want to go to next i mean what what's the next point for you
2: but do, do we have an oh, admiral of the superyacht fleet i don't
0: well when i worked, used to work on the golden fleet we used to have about i don't know seven or eight tenders and i used to arrogantly refer to myself the admiral of the golden fleets tender fleet um because i was the second mate at the time and i had to clean them all the time um but as for an admiral of the fleet um i'm not sure whether that's entirely necessary to be honest you know you
2: didn't say no though did you
0: no no I, no, no uh, uh, it's definitely not something that i look no i mean to be honest i'm under no illusion whatsoever i mean this uh, about where I am in my career. This award was amazing. Uh, you know, I was really quite humbled to receive it and surprised, to be honest, but um, it is what it is, but I've got a lot of learning still to go. Um, I still got i feel I've got a lot to offer the industry, but I feel I've got a lot of learning I can still do. I'm only 36, so I've just got to be a captain, you know, for another 10, 20 years before I consider what else. What's um, next? Ahead. I'm quite happy being at sea, you know, so... Uh, I, I like doing it, you know, so I'll probably just stay where I am.
1: And for a younger crew that are kind of making their way up, what what bit of advice would you give them of, you know, look at this or think of this as, as you make your way up through a yachting career?
0: I suppose there'd be a few things really, like, I mean, if I was going to speak and, like, maybe mentor somebody who was young who was joining the industry, first of all, I would say don't listen to, the stories that you hear in the hop store or, uh, <laughs> or wherever, you know, from other the days. Lady. Yeah. The blue lady or, you know, um, don't listen to the stories of, because they're often, they're often inaccurate. Um, the grass is not always greener uh, it's mainly or uh, an optical illusion. And I would say when you do get on a boat, um, what you want to really seek out and search for as somebody who's just joining the industry, and this could be actually said for people who've been in a while, is look for responsibility, not rights. So don't go down now the the way of thinking what's the best terms and conditions. Think what is the most responsibility I can be given on this boat? How much do they trust me? How much can I do? Um, if you're joining as a deckhand, you want to immediately start your training record book as soon as you start. Even if you think, I don't even know whether I want to do yachting. I might just do this as a gap year for a year. You don't want to wait a year and then think, well, I should have started my training record book a year ago. There's other lads who, or girls who are, who are like a year ahead of me now. Um, so I'd say, you know, what, and that, you could actually say that for any, any job you do, isn't it? You know, is when you go into it, go into it assuming you're going to be there for a while and do everything you can. Ensure that you can progress in that career.
2: Learn as much as you can.
1: Well, I I think that's one of the other issues that have has been brought up is about crew retention. And from captain's point of view, you know, the the longer you you can find crew who will stay with you, the stronger the team, the more more loyal you are, the the better dynamic. However, in the industry at the moment. It has been a um, difficult point uh, because in certain sectors, crew retention is is challenging. You know, they will stay for a season and then move on. Um, I think it's also a reflection of how happy they are, where they are, if they're getting the experience and they're content in their position. Uh, it's a fine balance between the two. Would you find that yeah. with your crew as well?
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I do. It's, it, it's a fine Balance. I mean, the most rewarding thing we do as a captain, and the most challenging, is dealing with crew. Uh, um, it's it's extremely difficult. You have to think about it constantly. I mean, driving the boat that we touched on earlier is like it's the thing you think about most before you're a captain, and just one of those things you get to do if you're you know once in a while, you know, and you don't even think about it and you just crack on with it. But it's the the crew management aspect. Like I said, it can be so rewarding, but it can be so challenging. And, yeah, it is very difficult nowadays, and that's why I say to people about looking for responsibility and looking for crew members who want responsibility rather than crew members who are looking for rights or terms and conditions. You know, obviously, we're all here to – it's a job, isn't it? So we're trying to do a job. But, yeah, I think that's what's going to keep crew. If you can build them up, if you can get them to do training courses, if you can give them responsibility, I think ultimately that is what is going to keep people – If you just give people more leave, there's always going to be that boat that can give them more leave. If you you constantly keep increasing salaries, you know, you can just, there'll always be someone who's going to pay more than you if that's their motivation. It it has to be giving people responsibility to to better themselves and, you know, to feel like they're really part of the team, I think.
1: And presumably also mentoring them when you give them that role as well to check that they can do the job and reach their potential
0: oh yeah no definitely definitely yeah yeah i mean i haven't got the laundry uh guy up driving the boat just yet but you know he's taking some good steps now. i mean like absolutely yeah and i mean naya recently took on a commercial cadet uh from who's doing a super yacht cadetship at warsash and i was just speaking to a management company um about it and I said, you know, I think this is a good idea you know, Uh, yachts are getting bigger and unlimited qualifications uh, are needed on some of the larger yachts but it would be really nice if we could get some cadets who actually knew a little bit about yachting uh, and how it works and the standard that's required and after this conversation then we invited one of their cadets to come and work on Naya and that lad did three months on Naya, you know, he did a crossing and a refit period and stuff like that, you know, and that obviously took a lot of attention and training record books and writing letters to his company and stuff like that so we do invest in people on Nia uh, as far as training um, all the deckhands on board our boat are doing their training record book and there's officers assigned to each of them to ensure that you know that they're getting stuff picked off if they want to do it of course you know what I mean mm. but most people do when you actually say something do you want to do it and you they see everyone else doing it they don't want to be left behind you know
1: um, where,
2: where do I send my CV? <laughs>
1: you you mentioned um Naya's having a refit as well um is that is that challenging time as a captain sometimes because you're not you're not on the water you're not driving the boat it it's a i mean I'm of putting your car in, in the garage and not being able to drive it.
2: Um, it's a period it, where you see your boat being ripped apart by people <laughs> with big boots and stuff on them and paint cans all around the place and plastic foil. It's a horrible time, I would think. So, <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, to be honest, I would say it would be a very, very stressful period. However, it is one of the few times I have actually taken a break. Uh, so I've left it to my relief captain uh, to manage the uh, the uh, yard period, which we did successfully in Barcelona, and we've actually just came finished now. I just flew back uh, this week just to move the boat into Port Vey uh, in Barcelona, mm-hmm. um, but we're all done and done. It was all finished on schedule, um, and you know so I would say yes refits can be very very difficult but
1: but you and know Barcelona is Barcelona's a nice base to have it you know there's a lot to do for your place. crew when they're um in Barcelona there's a lot of events on, and it's it's not such a bad place to be stuck for a couple of months.
2: Especially at the moment, there's loads of events on: street riots, burnings,
1: <laughs> there's um, <that>
2: <laughs> riots over the the general being moved to another
0: graveyard Yeah, but
1: they've only just there's finished their work, so they missed that something bit.
2: to do in Barcelona. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: It took a, it took a, it took me to start a couple of riots in Barcelona to uh, get out the shipyard and. Uh, <laughs> No, I mean, is that, no. it's actually, it's a really good shipyard in Barcelona. I would, and it's, I would say probably the, one of the, if not the uh, top marina Port bay yeah. in, uh, in the Mediterranean. It's, uh, were
2: it's you in MB92 or did you do your refit in Port Vey? Uh
0: We were in MB92, yeah. um, but we're now back in Port Vey. But we did a bit of work in Port Bay before, which is also pretty good, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's good, good, good cooperation with the... Uh, with the port and the harbour master there. That's yeah. great
2: and a great facility. I, I love the the building there. They got rooms there for meetings and and restaurant. The captains really been Paul Cook when he was managing it, invited us over and uh, I didn't want to leave. It was great. Nice. Yeah,
0: yeah. That's right. Yeah. I met Paul actually when I first went there um, on on my previous boat and I went for lunch with Paul and. Uh, He's a brilliant yeah, it's, guy. It's Oh, great guy. Yeah, Paul's fantastic. Uh, really, really good guy. B-
1: moving back to where we started, which was the AQ Yachting <laughs> Award. Uh, I'm, uh, did you, I mean, you knew you were nominated. Who nominated you? Do you know? Who-
0: um, yeah, it was actually uh, YPI that nominated me, although I didn't know that oh. until almost the end, really. Um, it was like an anonymous, anonymous uh, nomination. So I didn't really know for ages and I wasn't told and they didn't, they didn't let me know. So
1: and I, I did. did you, were you planning to go to the ceremony anyway for the, the fun of it or in case you want it? Yeah. Did you get to go with friends?
0: Yeah, I did actually. I was, well, I was planning to go anyway, but I was only planning on going just myself and my wife because uh, one of the... Uh, I met one of the A-Crew staff, uh, Abigail, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I was just chatting to her, and she was showing me pictures from, you know, the 2018. I, I was aware of it, but and she said it's going to be even better this year, and I just thought, oh, I'm just going to go just for the Vance, to be honest, and it'll be good. And then I got this nomination, you know, a month later, and I was quite shocked by it. And then I actually went with my brother, my sister, my wife, um, a, a very good friend of mine who has nothing to do with the industry whatsoever he actually works for the BBC and his partner and um, I sat on another table with another one of the finalist nominations who was a cadet friend of mine we actually lived in the same house with uh, with one of the other uh, finalists for that category I was in so that was that was good fun um, so we had a great table and it was a really good evening Yeah,
1: and it's also quite unique I mean there are loads and loads of shows and events but um, this is the only one I know of offhand that can bring together 400 crew, captains, engineers, you know, in in one place to to celebrate crew. In essence, you know, um, there's no other occasion I can think of that is chefs.
2: Just, chefs always get one, uh, unless you're but doing the chefs
1: competition. competition. Yeah, the chefs do well. All right, but the food, isn't <laughs> it? Yeah. How about how about
2: yeah. ca- how about captains who cook? They should do that. <laughs>
0: I know, can't cook, can't cook, won't cook kind of thing, yeah. No, I, I could do it, but I, I don't know, I don't fancy giving 400 people that there was, I think there's 400 people at that event, uh, food poisoning. So I'll, I'll avoid that. But, you yeah, know, I think it was an excellent event, uh, the Acre event, I thought it was really good. Uh, definitely going to go back next year and probably every year, just a bit of fun, you know. But certainly have no ambition to enter any other, uh, any other competitions again, you know what I mean? I've done it once, leave on a high. Indeed. you know but, uh, but yeah i'll definitely come back and support it and I encourage my peers in the industry to do the same you know if it's just fun if anything else you know
2: do you, do you get to keep the trophy or do you have to hand it over to the next winner like the world cup <laughs>
0: I think I get to keep it, but if I have to hand it back, uh, there's, I'm definitely going to vandalise it.
1: <laughs> Carve your name in at the bottom.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, grave it like bite the top off or something. You know, it's not uh, going to come back
2: Just advise the new winner to rinse.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. What? What are you looking at me like that for? <laughs> Fingerprints. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> oh
1: well, um, it has been a pleasure chatting with you today, Alex. Um, I um, yeah, I have to say I love hearing the stories of of um, how you got there. Very often, to be honest, people start with yachtings and dinghies. Um, I think you are our first guest who started on cargo, and mm. and possibly cruise. So you you get a double award here for you know. in the industry another way. I'm not sure how
2: much I enjoy it because you you listen to him and it's like, oh, that's fantastic. I listen to him and go like, oh, I want to go there. Oh, I wish I'd done that too. Oh, you were there too? And I just end up (laughs) really, really bitter towards the man.
0: (laughs) I have that effect on people. It's amazing.
2: Hey, they must love you in the local pub. Quick, put the shutters up. He's coming back. We don't want to hear us. Hey, guys, guess where I've been? <laughs> well, then,
1: that's my last question, just because I know when I go home to Dublin and I explain what I'm doing, you know, but we have a radio station and we're focused on the yacht industry and people in Dublin also <laughs> know, but they're like the yacht industry, you know, and and you explain what it is. Do you get that with, you know, old friends or, you know, neighbors? What do you do? Well, I'm actually a captain on a really big super yacht. Is there an illusion that comes your way often? Do their eyes
2: graze over and kind of like, what is he talking about?
0: Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think I, I just don't think really many people understand it. But there's been a few times when like my brother and my sister and a few of my mates, They've come out either to an event like this or they've gone to the Super Yacht Charities Ball or they've come out and seen the boat when it's been in Europe or whatever and I've shown them around. So they, they kind of get it a little bit. But if, but yeah, if I was speaking to like, you know, when you're getting a taxi back from the airport and you're just telling them they just don't know what you're talking about. It's just, you know, and it, it sounds glamorous. It sounds like you're bragging, but they're, you know, it's you're not. It's just, it is what it is. But it's, uh, you obviously just don't talk about the days when you've had a ridiculously long day done, you know, poured your heart and soul into something only for it to get destroyed by somebody who's just wants more or wants an unreasonable request and, and the things you know you challenge your uh, things you deal with in yachting quite regularly you know but uh,
1: or d- but to be honest I, I you know a lot of it we also hear from younger crew of the glamour of traveling the world and you know working Women on this beautiful luxury yacht you get your meals made by a chef. chef it, it sounds great the reality is that it's a lot of really hard work yeah you earn well but you share a tiny room for a long time with someone there's not much personal space you can if you've got charter upon charter you can have weeks back and back that you're you're working and you don't have that switch off time of going home closing your door um that i think the the demands of this industry very much weigh up the benefits um Job-wise, it calls a lot. Could,
2: could, yes. I, could I ask a totally unrelated question? It's what we have you. When you do an interview for the chef... I'm asking this because I miss lunch and I'm really hungry. When you do an interview for the chef, does the chef have to do a, a, a demo, kind of cook a meal for the captain so you can test out how they cook? Or Sorry, do you? can I
0: repeat that question? It was just uh, I didn't, didn't come through there.
2: I was just wondering, when you, when you interview a chef... Yeah. Do they have to cook the captain a meal as part of the the interview? <laughs>
0: it's quite common for them to cook for the owner. Um, but, yeah, no, I haven't. Well, actually, I'll tell a lie. I'll tell a lie. The last chef that I hired, I wanted to take somebody who ha- hadn't been a, a yacht chef, uh, more from a restauranteering background, um, and... They came on board and I said, look, because you haven't been on yachts, you might not like it. So come for a crossing, right? Uh, It's 14 days. And then during that 14 days, just cook for the crew. But I just want, like, three meals, three three three-course meals for four people in that two-week period. Because, you know, you can see whether you like yachting. And uh, so, yeah, in that respect, I did. But any other time I've hired a chef and they've normally been sent to the owner's house and they've cooked for the owner, Um, And perhaps it would be... Yeah, so it it would be like that. So it can be quite stressful for them. But no, this one chef, the last chef I hired, um, yeah, we did it. It was on a crossing. So, you know, while he was just seeing whether he liked yachting and liked Mm -hmm. being at sea, he might as well have done something. And he was very keen to do it as well because he had the, you know, he's got great menus, you know, and really good talent.
2: That worked out okay.
1: Well, and I was going to say, uh, it's probably a good bet if the owner likes the cooking because, you know, most owners are used to. Pretty high level of um, of cookery and Michelin star restaurants, and so their standards hopefully would be pretty high, which would mean that inevitably your chef would be a good cook. Or does that except logic that.
2: follow? No, except the owner of Big City. He had the uh, the crew mess. The gal- uh, there was like a, a dining area for the crew. He had it done out in a ranch style, uh, kind of cowboy style. And he liked burgers, chips, hot dogs, and fried chicken, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, which doesn't really test the the chef, but that's pretty much the the diet he wanted. He recruited, he got somebody from Kentucky, I think.
0: (laughs) You say that, though. You say that about not testing the chef. There was, I know an owner who liked something similar, and he wanted to have McDonald's, but not from McDonald's, cooked fresh while they're at sea, tasting exactly the same. So the chef had to then work on right how we're we going to get like these chips, and he kept on just deep frying these, you know, French fries. He couldn't get them tasting the same, and he, he just tried and tried and tried and tried and tried. And he found out if you're using the worst, most minging oil you can possibly find, you can pretty much get the fries <laughs> to taste like McDonald's. And that was that's how he managed to impress this owner, basically by just using the older oil it seemed to get a close. The older the oil, the closer the taste was to to the McDonald's fry. So. Thank
2: you. the one thing I do eat at McDonald's (laughs) is the fries
1: I thought you were going to say he stopped using potatoes he had to water down the potatoes because they're not real potatoes (laughs) but there's there's very
2: little potato in them
1: there probably is that's the Irishman talking (laughs) Uh, no because we saw we saw that did
2: you ever see that movie um, uh, the guy who ate McDonald's supersize me supersize me (laughs) that put me off Mm. McDonald's I used to have the odd one now and again but now I have a physical reaction when I see McDonald's it's not a good one (laughs) That really, oh, really, that really disturbed. Me. Yeah, after seeing what it did to him. And it
1: but it didn't do anything to Burger King or KFC, so no, he's all right. No, they different.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. You got to draw the line somewhere, Captain.
1: Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> did, um, I,
2: did I say Admiral? Sorry, I meant Captain. <laughs> 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 I think it's uh, coming to the top of the hour, and I should See, it's, it's Friday. I've got that um, that that fun Friday feeling of. Finally, the week's about to end. Although I'm working tomorrow, you watching the rugby tomorrow?
0: Oh, hundred percent. You know, I've got to go. Uh, I'm going on holiday tomorrow to Cornwall with the family. But uh, I've got to. I can't set off until both rugby oh. games have been done. That's, yeah. uh, well, there's, that's there's,
2: cool. there's one Saturday, one Sunday, isn't it?
0: Oh, I thought they were both in the morning. I know the, the yeah. England game ten o'clock, isn't it? I thought the other yeah. one was before. I no, was I, right.
2: I was, there. I was uh, lining up for a full day in front of the box as well. But on just looking it up, we got the New Zealand and England game I think tomorrow, and then the right, yeah. the Welsh and Springbok are on Sunday ten o'clock as well.
0: I suppose that makes sense if it's the semis, isn't it, rather than yeah. the quarters where they had two each day. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Oh well, that's all right. So yeah, we're. Well, this weekend, I'm very much looking forward
2: to it. Yeah, just phone ahead to Cornwall, make sure there's a facility there to uh, to watch it on, on Sunday.
1: And thank mm. god you've got time off finally. Yeah, good timing for the Rugby World Cup finals as they
0: come up. Yes, yeah, and my wife's South African as well, so uh, yeah, very much Better. rooting for, for, for uh, Wales. As
2: well. Oh, wouldn't a Springbok England final now just be great? <laughs> <laughs> so only if only they could do that on Christmas Day for you. <laughs>
0: it would be brilliant i might have to go back to work sooner rather than later
2: <laughs> captain thank you so much for your time i've really enjoyed speaking with you and yeah, um like we, we we may be contacting you for maybe taking part in one or two of our round table discussions in the future if you're up for it we would love to have you yeah join us. Be,
0: yeah. yeah definitely
2: super. Yeah. have a super weekend enjoy the rugby uh predictions sure. for the final
0: uh, England, South Africa, 43-0. <laughs> we'll you must love, as well. <laughs> you must, uh,
2: must love pain. an optimist
1: as well. You
2: must love pain. Have a super weekend. And thank you. And congratulations again on um, a very well-won prize. Uh, uh, no doubt you deserve it. And more.
1: We thank have been talking much. with Captain Alex Whitney. Soon Whitney. to be
2: Admiral. Soon to be Admiral.
1: Um, who was the <laughs> Warner, winner of the Crew Yachting captain master unlimited award uh, this september so many congratulations to you thank you for coming on air it was great to hear your story and uh, to you all have a great weekend
2: and uh, stick with us because uh, we'll put on some music and uh, we'll have a quick goodbye off air you've been listening to the overboard show next have a great weekend
0: from palma de Mallorca to the global super yacht community super yacht radio